It's Green Shirt Day. We are resharing last year's conversation with the Boulay family. New year and new episode art. Thank you, Lowell. Same conversation, same beautiful family. Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie. Sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Today, April 7th, is Green Shirt Day, and we have a special episode for you. It was our pleasure to chat with the family of Logan Boulay, the inspiration behind Green Shirt Day and the Logan Boulay effect. As you may recall, on April 6, 2018, the bus carrying the Humboldt Broncos hockey team was involved in a crash that shattered the hearts of Canadians. 16 of the 29 passengers on the Humboldt team bus lost their lives in the crash, and Logan Boulay was one of them. He succumbed to his injuries on April 7, 2018. Following his passing, his organs saved or enhanced the lives of six Canadians. This sparked organ donation across Canada, which became known as the Logan Boulay effect. Now, April 7th is known as Green Shirt Day, a day to bring awareness to organ donation and the impact that Logan's decision to donate his organs had on a nation. We talked to Logan's parents, Toby and Bernie, and his sister, Mariko. They share their own athletic histories, their favorite memories of Logan, and Logan's unplanned legacy. The Boulets are the most beautiful and authentic family, and we hope you get as much out of our conversation as we did. Well, we kind of want to get to know all three of you a little bit first. So if you guys could all let us know your athletic backgrounds and what you're up to. And I know, Mariko, you, how recently graduated as an occupational therapist? Just over a year. So right before Christmas of 2019. Ooh, and was that U of A? Yeah, U of A. I did my undergrad at U of L. Me too. Same path. <laughs> and you're working now? Yeah. So I'm here in Lethbridge back home, which is really nice. I wanted to come back. And then after the tragedy, I was like, I really need to come home. So I was very fortunate to have found a job in an area that I actually wanted to practice in. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And did you play sports growing up? Yeah, I actually did a ton of sports. I've been talking to a friend and we were saying how being an athlete was such a big part of our identity. And now recently it's not anymore. My main sport was ringette. I played that from when I was six all the way until my final year of university at U of L. And then I've been coaching. Coaching is kind of my area and I actually really love it. Oh, cool. I swam competitively for a couple of years when I was younger, wow. played soccer, played fast pitch, like softball for a couple of years. And then in high school, I did basketball, badminton. And then I also played rugby for the Pronghorns for my first year. Oh, you're busy. Athletics has always been a massive part of our family and my life. So right now, Ringette is the only one that I'm actively a part of, Mm -hmm. but watching the Briars, Mm -hmm. a big family thing, and the Olympics were like so stoked. So go Lowell. I'm more super excited (laughs) to have that. (laughs) Lethbridge hero. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) This is a big part of what we want to be sharing through our podcast and sharing to the audience is the power of sport, how sport connects us and creates dreams. What does sport mean to you? What has it done in your life? I think it's just played a massive part in shaping who I am today and helping build that confidence and leadership skills in my life and finding out who I am and knowing that team and being a part of a team is such a big role in my life and what I want to continue to do. Mm. When you're younger, you think about it just like sports, 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 what can I do? But then as you grow older, you're like, oh, what did I learn? I learned how to work hard. I learned what it means to fail and what do you have to do to pick yourself up? I learned what it means to succeed and reach what you're trying to reach. And then what do you do next? How do you Mm. move on from you reach the pinnacle, but now you have next season, what can you do next season? And so it's always working towards how you can constantly do better, but then also be happy with the results you're at too. 
it's hard to define how athletics and my personal life and professional life are separate because it all has helped me shape who I am today. Absolutely beautiful. Well said. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. And lots of very valuable lessons in there. Hey, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Obviously your parents were very supportive of your athletics growing up. So Bernie, did you play soccer for university? <laughs> yes, I did. Actually, <laughs> I was on the very first pronghorn women's soccer team oh. way back. How back? When? Um, so 1986 was the first year we actually had a team. So yeah, I've been at a university for a really long time. That just means you're very wise. Oh, well, thank you. Um, If you go into the dressing rooms at the stadium, there is a wall of fame for the women's soccer team and I'm on that wall. It was really interesting because that first year that we had a team here at UofL, we had a core of 11 people, which is what you need for a soccer team. But we didn't really have a bench and it was literally going around and like, hey, did you ever play soccer? Oh, you played when you were 10. Well, we need people like, (laughs) and it was just trying to find that and trying to be competitive because you're playing against places like BC where they're playing all year long. And we really at that point in time, we were playing maybe April to mid-November at the longest because we didn't play indoor at that time. And if you did play indoor, it was in a gym, not in a facility like we have now. So that was just really different then. But I would agree very much with Mariko, like it built that team and that was who my whole social group was. And it was the people I hung out with. When the crash happened, my soccer family came back together. There's about seven of us that we still get together. Mm. Now we've had the pandemic, so it's been a little bit harder. My soccer family bought a bench. So like, you know, when you go to the parks in Lethbridge, they have the plaques on them and they are dedicated to someone. So they bought a bench and it's out here at Paradise Canyon. That's been very heartwarming and Mm. really showed how we have stayed together. And then last year, a bunch of us went back and played indoor soccer. Oh, fun. That would be my big sport thing. I played ringette for a couple of years when Rico was younger. They had some moms play. And that was lots of fun to try and do that because I had my athletic mind, but that was the first time I'd ever played a sport where I had to have a skill to be able to play. So I could skate, but I couldn't skate like Mariko or Logan can skate. Yeah. Or me. Well, I've never actually <laughs> seen you skate really well. <laughs> Wow. Um, like like you used to <laughs> well yeah, used yeah. To. at least at some point in life it still counts yeah. so. yes <laughs> but yeah Mariko and Logan they're amazing skaters so I had a new appreciation for a game from a different perspective you guys are very well-rounded athletic slash leadership family my goodness totally forgot my mom played ringette but I remember a bunch of us I, I can't remember how old we were but we thought it was like the coolest thing and we'd be like we're gonna be the people on the bench so we'd like run the gates and try to coach and we were like 10 and Aww. Our parents are probably like, this is so annoying, go away, but <laughs> they probably loved it. <laughs> we thought it was like the greatest thing to get to cheer on our moms and like run the bench and be like, skate harder. Oh, no, I'm sure your mom loved it. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. That, that really is seeing our parents, right? This lifelong fitness, this idea of mm-hmm. continuing to have sport and connection and community and fun. We don't lose fun and play as we get older. And that's really important to see that as parents. So you've set a really amazing example for your kids and for a lot of the community. Yeah, and the coaching doesn't end with you two. Toby, you've probably coached the longest out of anybody, I'm sure. That's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) I coach and I administer. Okay. I grew up in Olds, Alberta. I played baseball in the summer and hockey in the winter. That's what we did. And then I started rugby just out of high school and I played lots of rugby. Lots. Mm. To the point where I couldn't play anymore because... Injuries. (laughs) So I'm done playing sports, basically. I have a phys ed degree from the UofL. taught phys ed for 20-some years. 
athletic director at Winston Churchill High School for like 15 years. So my job has been to coach and administer. Enrico was very quick not to say this, of course, but I coached her in Riette for many, many years. <laughs> I coached Logan in hockey for many, many years. I've coached other kids in rugby. Yeah, I coached Rico in rugby. Yeah, we won provincial uh, And managed a Pronghorns rugby Ooh. team for 18 years. Parents like me really appreciate parents like you and all three of you guys that have those leadership coaching skills because I'm active and athletic, but like, oh, coaching. Like whenever they put out the calls to coach the soccer team, I'm like, please, other parents. Please, <laughs> other parents volunteer. I just, I want to cheer on <laughs> well, the sidelines. So this, thank you. This parent would <laughs> accept that call. I was the guy having to make those calls to fill up coaches for basketball, volleyball teams, whatever at Churchill. Go to yeah. meetings. And so that's just that's continued on with Logan, of course. Mm-hmm. And then in Logan's passing, we run a golf tournament for three years. I basically run the golf tournament. Rico's the past president. Bernie's the treasurer and Rico's in charge of volunteers. And wow. I'm on the bring back horns hockey and all kinds of Leftbridge sports hall of fame committee. You name wow. it. That's what I, that's what I still do. Very involved. My job for probably 35 years is to be the guy that builds the team. Mm. The sport reveals everything, reveals your character, reveals your skill set, reveals who you are. Mm. Well, thank you guys for telling us your stories. Mm. Now we would like to learn a little bit more about Logan and Mariko. I think that you probably have, as his sister, a unique perspective. So we'd love to hear your voice on this and what it was like to grow up with Logan. And are you older? Yeah, three years. Okay. So please introduce us to your brother, Logan. Logan was my pal. We were very fortunate. My parents worked really hard. I think I give them a lot of credit to how close Logan and I were growing up and that I don't think I've ever thought about wanting another. I probably did sometime, but looking back, like wanting another sibling or wanting a sister because Logan was exactly what I needed. And even going on family vacations and everything, like I remember so many, there was just the four of us and it was a lot of fun. We had everything we needed. We worked really hard as a family to have that family unit I remember a couple of years ago, I'd say to Logan, joking, I'm like, I have five friends and you're one of them. And he's like, that's embarrassing. Don't tell anyone that. <laughs> um, so I think I often thought of him like much closer to me than he thought of me, which is totally fine. I know we loved each other dearly, but mm-hmm. we'd have all sorts of fun adventures. We lived on the coolies. My parents still live there. And so it was fun to explore back there. Lots of stuff in our backyard, sporting events, as we talked about lots, like Logan and I would go bike riding, play pass in the backyard. Backyard baseball was one of our favorite things or my dad running that's the first thing I learned about football was his football plays and we'd like try and mess each other up well and tackle in the backyard and cheering each other on and we'd do like extravagant things in the basement we had tons of toys but they were more like exploring toys like lego and playmobile even barbies and all that and we'd take turns who got to pick what item and Logan's more of the creative mind and I'm the more of the logical mind and so he would make these amazing setups for our Playmobil people and this whole land and stuff and then there'd be me in the corner playing with one person and having a time with one person (laughs) while Logan made this whole world and same with when we do Barbies we would have so much fun creating the house and then when it actually got time to play we'd be like now I'm done let's move (laughs) on to something else that's cool Logan's definitely more outgoing than me, but at home, it's hard to tell who's who. Dishes was always a chore that we had to do together. So it'd often be a fight of who gets to wash, who gets to dry, who's putting away. What was your favorite part? What were you fighting for? Washing? I like drying more because me being the big sister, like this is still dirty. Oh. And throw it back in the sink. <laughs> you can exert some like, control that way. <laughs> like there's one spot. So, but we'd always blast Disney tunes. And I remember Mulan was like our go-to soundtrack and mm. it'd be just blasting that and singing along. There's many regrets, but 
one of the big ones is that we didn't have the chance to have that adult relationship. Mm-hmm. We only had a couple of years, but Logan and I both had a big travel mindset. We we're very fortunate to have parents that pushed that and really wanted us to go places. In 2017, one of our cousins lived in Paris. Logan and I decided to go to Paris together for two weeks and just visit my cousin. And then we ventured to Belgium, to Brussels for a couple of days. That was a lot of fun. Him and I had never done anything together, just the two of us to that extent. And I think we didn't really think much of it till we were at the airport, just us. And we're like, it's just you and I for the next two weeks. What are we going to do? But it was a lot of fun. I remember thinking like, you're a great travel partner. I'm so excited for the day when we can travel mm. with our families or with our significant others. So we complimented each other super well. My strengths were where he had challenges and the opposite. So it worked. Mm-hmm. Lots of people said that we were like the ideal siblings. We never fought. I think I can remember one time where we actually had a full on physical fight and that was over a game because I think I cheated and Logan was really big against rules. Like you do not cheat or else I am going to be very angry. And I think he ended up like actually hitting me in the face and then I started crying and I deserved it. And that's the only time it was over Cranium could do. I can actually remember the game. Cranium. And like, that game. <laughs> as long as you stayed and you trusted each other, you were... You were good to go and you were loved unconditionally by him, even if he showed it in his own way. So I think I'm very, very grateful to have that sibling that Mm -hmm. was also, whether he wants to agree or not, was also one of my best friends. Wow. There's those many layers of grief, but gratitude in this incorporation of who he is into your life. But that regret of not having an adult relationship, Mm -hmm. one of the things is continuing to find ways to incorporate him in your adult life. Yeah. And I just think there's ways I do that. There's pictures around my house. I think of him all the time and I try to think of, oh, I got this because Logan would like it. Mm -hmm. People say like, oh, my brother's coming over for dinner. And I'm like, oh, I live in this townhouse that Logan's never seen and never will Mm -hmm. see in person. And Mm -hmm. like how much I would love to host him. I didn't just lose my brother. I also lost a friend for life that would have been with me all the time. I see my mom and Mm -hmm. her brother and his family and how close they are. And it's like, oh, I'm not Mm going to get that. And then of course, my partner right now, who I love dearly, doesn't have any siblings either. So we're both missing that. Logan would have been the brother for both of us. And we're both missing that. Yeah. The grief never gets easier. You just learn to live with it and you learn to move through it. And we won't forget and nor would we want to forget. Mm -hmm. But it's those continuations of those little pieces all the time of, man, Logan would have liked this or man, I miss him. Yeah. I had one friend who shared this really well, who had lost her sister. She said, those moments are really hard when you remember and you're like, the only person you want to tell is that person who's Mm -hmm. no longer here. Mm -hmm. But in a way she's like, I like to reframe it in that it's still a positive because then you remember them. It means you're remembering them because it's Mm -hmm. still something you remember you want to tell them. So they're still there in their mind. Yeah. I thought that was really neat. Even though if I'm crying, thinking about something, it's like, right, I didn't forget about you, Logan. You're still here. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing the, the amazing <laughs> passion of love seen through a sister's eyes. That's so yeah. powerful. I like can't open my mouth very much because I'm like on the verge of tears. <laughs> I've not lost a sibling. I've lost a niece and just reflecting, she was an infant, didn't have a personality yet. And that absolutely wrecked me. So I can't even imagine for you guys to lose a child and brother that you knew so well can't you take over (laughs) it's the power of love now for parents to have lost a kid is one of the most heartbreaking things so can you please introduce us to your son logan and your journey with him i don't know if i can talk (laughs) logan was was awesome Mm. as Mirko said we had adventures all the time we literally traveled as much as we could anywhere in the world as a group of four we'd Mm. save money we'd go Use your credit card and then try to pay it off. <laughs> Worry yeah. about that later. Glad you did that. Glad you did that. Yeah. yeah. Carpe diem. But um, 
Yeah, Logan yes. would, there's so many things to say, but one is the one uh, he would he want to be Indiana Jones. He's want to be an archaeologist when he's little, and I'd say it's awesome because you could get the girl either way. Because what well, you're going to be a hockey player too, so if you're Indiana Jones or hockey, you're going to get the girl. So things like that, he would find humor in that and yeah. think it's funny, and then would work with that even at a young age. So he had a sense of humor that was really cool. And he was drawn to lots of people and people were drawn to Logan because he wouldn't say much. And then when he said something, the whole room would spark. It's mm. like, wow. And so, and I taught Logan, I taught Rico and I taught Logan. So I, I, and Bernie was in their elementary school and then they did middle school on their own. Went to Lake Hill by themselves and sorted it out. And then they came to church where their dad was <laughs> having to see Rico and her friends and then see Logan and his friendship group. As Rico said, it was larger. And Logan was never the core of the group. He was just always there. Yeah. But now you find out he was a glue guy. And he's a glue guy that made yeah. everything stick together. Yeah. And it's the same thing in, when he played sports. Mm. He was the glue guy. He was a really good player in rugby, won provincial championship at the highest level, and one of the key players on the team. He's won provincial championships in hockey, midget double A, a key player on the team. Broncos, but he also learned that you have to pay your dues mm -hmm. and you have to work hard and never stop. So he understood all those things and could package that into what he was. Well, kudos to you guys. It sounds like he had a level of maturity for his age that not a lot of his peers maybe would have had. Well, level of maturity in certain things. <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's a maturity in arc. making decisions yeah. and there's still, you did what? You went where? <laughs> it's, you're supposed to be home at this time and yeah. I mean, there's just a regular boy growing up playing yeah. sports. And Rico was really, really intelligent. And Logan was also quite intelligent. Rico worked really, really hard in school. Logan didn't work near as hard, but their grades seemed to be the same at the end. So, <laughs> Did that make you resentful, Mariko? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> no, Mariko had exceptional grades. Exceptional. Just had to work harder to get them. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was just like, I think I put my heart and soul into academics because I knew it's where I could shine, whereas Logan could shine in many different ways. And mm -hmm. he wasn't as studious in a way. Like you think of like down to the books, like yeah. doing that. Yeah. And I was willing to take that extra step, whereas Logan just knew stuff naturally and enjoyed yeah. things. So he learned about it on his own, which then translated back to mm -hmm. school and academics. So I think we just had our different learning styles that he didn't have to do as much book yeah. learning as I did. <laughs> Yeah. Logan really liked art and he grew up he liked art he got the, the Southern Alberta Art Gallery show for the schools and did a few things like that but never really did much art like he liked art mm -hmm. and he wanted to do more but he never really did more right he's just a busy guy and then all of a sudden when Rico and Logan go to Paris and my sister Colette <laughs> they were going to different museums and they would take hours to get through a museum an art museum and Logan would discuss the brush strokes mm -hmm. the techniques the tonalities, the colors, everything of the, you knew the artists, the paintings, all this. And it's like, where did that come from? Mm. And where Rico and her, my brother-in-law, Norm, they're out of that museum in 20 minutes. Like, well, can we go somewhere? Like, let's go. <laughs> and Clet and Logan were hours. Is that not true, Rico? Yeah, it's like one of our favorite stories. We went to the Musée d'Orsay, which is one of the more modernish museums in Paris. And there was a Van Gogh room. And so I went in with Auntie Colette and Logan and we we're all excited. And then they were discussing each painting. And I was like, hey, screw this. So I like went through, looked at each one. I was down, finished the room. My uncle had already left by this point. And I come back, they were on the third painting. And I was like, okay, I can't do this. I, so I went through yeah. the whole museum by myself, which was fun. I enjoyed it. I went yeah. at my own pace and I think I was done. And they were like halfway through just discussing. And my aunt said she'd never had such a good time Aww. in the museum. Huh. So just that side of Logan that lots of people don't 
necessarily know about. It wasn't him being kind. Him and my aunt had such a good time together. What yeah. special memories for your aunt? Yeah. When they were younger, we went to the Alexander Graham Bell Museum. And it's got all these really cool things he built, and it's super cool. Mm-hmm. Well, Mariko literally read every placard of every artifact. Where Logan's like ten or nine at the time, like, can we get going? So that's <laughs> what I thought turned. Logan was like in these kind of museums. So. So I was yeah. surprised when I heard that story. It's like, Mariko's now, she's in a hurry to get out. And in those days, it's like, Mariko, we want to eat supper today. Like, get, <laughs> read the stuff and let's go, right? Alexander Graham Bell. Yeah, he did the telephone. That's nice. Let's go. Let's <laughs> got something else to go see. And another little story about Logan. We have a hot tub in our backyard. For years, I wanted a hot tub, wanted a hot tub, wanted a, but I could never get one. And they had a hot tub sale. It's a Father's Day. So we go to the hot tub sale. They got a great price. So we come back and we're discussing this at the dinner table. And we call the family vote. Logan and I vote yes for the hot tub and Rico votes yes. And Bernie was almost like, you're a traitor. Sure. And, and what are you doing? And Rico goes, I'm just tired of them arg- of arguing with you. Let's just get the hot tub. Awesome. So Logan and I spent many years in the hot tub. Aww. And I thought I was the berating father a lot. He'd come out. It's always like, what are you doing? What's going on? What's what time's practice? When's rugby? Would you get this? It seemed to be like that on my side lots. And our neighbor, Mr. Hopkins, dug next door. He goes, no, you guys used to have friend conversations not father son they were mm. friend to friend and i remember that clearly Aww. bernie when i think of logan it's like yeah he's very athletic and that was when he was little it was like i want to be an nhl player and if that doesn't work out i want to be an archaeologist and you're like okay do we have a third choice and <laughs> what you want to do because his archaeologist was yeah definitely indiana jones and adventures and and he was always intrigued by that historical thing and artifacts and throughout his life it was always well I would like to do this and you're like well we don't have time because you're busy with sports Mariko's busy with sports you've got school you've got swimming you have to give up something and it was always I'll give up school and it was like uh that one's not a negotiable that's not an option you got it something else has to go And, and eventually we usually would just find a way to fit things into our lives But then when we did have that time down, it was always enjoyable. Well, we did lots of stuff together as a family. We traveled, we hang out in the backyard. We just tried to go on adventures as a family. And that really is what Logan loves to do adventures. He would go on adventures. He and his buddies would go outside. They'd find wood. They would build something. He would go with Mariko and they'd walk around and create. They would go tobogganing in the summer on the hills in the <laughs> plastic sleds. And one year, Logan and his other buddy decided they were building a fort. And so they would come to our house with a wagon and get supplies. And they would haul it out to this place where they were going to build this fort on the coulee. And we very much live in rattlesnake country. So, you know, you're telling them like, be careful. There may be snakes out. Well, they're hauling a wagon load from their friend's house across the street to get to where they needed to go. And there's a snake in the middle of the road. Well, these two boys, I don't know, they might've been about 10. Brave hearts. 10, very brave. (laughs) They saw the snake. They screamed. They left the wagon in the middle of the road and ran back to their friend's house. They were done. I don't even know if they ever went back to retrieve anything. Uh Logan was never brave in that kind of way. (laughs) He was a watcher. He would watch and see, okay, what are other people doing? What are like, oh, oh, okay, they did that. Okay, I have to do this to be successful. Okay, I'm not doing that. When you say Braveheart, that's Braveheart from like Care Bears, not Braveheart like Mel Gibson. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) When Logan was about 14 
years of age, he got cut from a team that he wanted to make and felt he should make. So he was mm. devastated. And well, what can you do? So he came up with some plans. And he literally transformed over that winter as to being braver and working harder and being much more focused. Mm. He's growing the man that people read about all the time. That came out of that transformation. The body was there. He just hadn't done anything with it. Yeah. And then he became six foot two, almost 198 pounds, no fat, and would do whatever you needed him to do. Yeah. That lesson of what we learn from our failures, that obstacle of getting cut, yeah, to, exactly. that, that awareness of, oh, I have to work harder. If you don't put talent into practice, it's not going to go too far. So he learned that lesson and that next year was the next level up. Yeah. That was a hundred percent Logan. Yeah. I feel and like then, he was then, very good at taking the failures and it's like, what can I do with this to still reach that goal? That's where we are opposites where I'm like, okay, I failed. So what's the next plan? Like that one's done. Let's channel this into something else completely different. Cause that's how I run. Whereas him, it's like, Let's take this. What did I learn? I want to use that as my motivation to go, go, go to show them that I'm better and I can do this. And I think that was one of the biggest things I admired about him because it's really cool to take the failure as you described and turn it into something more. Yeah. Now, can you please share with us the story behind Green Shirt Day? After someone passes, pre-COVID, of course, people come to your house for a week or so. Well, we had three months where people come to, came to our house. It just never seemed to stop, which is just fine. But it just kept coming and coming. Our friend Neil Lange, Logan's godfather, basically sat in our house and took care of media. So about two weeks or whatever, Neil turns to me and says, they're going to come. And I said, who's going to come? They are. I said, who's they? Hmm. Well, they came. Uh, first, it was Kidney to speak. And then a guy just out of the blue calls us. And he wants to talk about organ transplant awareness. Marketing guy, David Peckham, spent 25, 30 years in marketing. And that's all his marketing is on organ transplant awareness. We checked them all out and back and forth and we agreed how we're going to run this thing. That's how it started. It doesn't make money. It's not to make money. It's all about awareness. We're involved with the Green Shirt Day and to promote that concept from the Logan Bully effect, where it took literally Canada by storm. And we understand the humble Bronco tragedy put Logan in that situation. As I've said many times, if it, Logan had just been killed in a car accident or was an injury in a car accident by himself, we would have had a funeral for 400 people and we would have still donated his organs, but it would have just been like many, many stories of people that donated their, their child's organs. Some people gave money, some people registered to be their organs. And so when we told Neil to put it on Facebook, just do something because with cell phones and social media and Twitter and Facebook, our phones were just blew up. So we literally had a little rotation. Mm -hmm. Rico and Bernie would say it's Logan for whatever. Then I'd go half an hour break and I'd be on my phone. I'd come back, put your phone away and someone else would go. Because mm -hmm. you couldn't be on your phone when you're with Logan. You didn't want to be. Time was ticking, right? Mm -hmm. So I asked him to put something on Facebook and that's when it all exploded. And so this gentleman said, we could do something with this. And so we talked about it and that's where we are today. Broncos are green and the organ transplantation is green. Without Logan, there is no green shirt day. Because of the Logan Bully effect and because of the tragedy and because of the national scope, it's one thing to lose a child, but one, another thing to lose a child in the largest, biggest national tragedy in modern time. It's huge. It's hard. And you can't go anywhere without people asking questions or coming up to you. And then your son is Logan Boulay. Mm -hmm. And because we started to talk at transplantation events or charities, people who have received an organ, they want to tell you how thankful they are to you. Mm -hmm. That Logan basically telling you, we're so happy that when Logan passed, you donated his organs. And so I took it as, you're so happy my son passed. Well, no, I don't give a, I don't care about that. I, I want Logan back. Mm. I'm glad you have a new heart. I'm glad you you're got another kidney, but I don't yeah. really care right now. So it took me about a year to get over that. Mm -hmm. I don't care. 
yeah. to actually understand what these people wanted and what they're trying to say. And yeah. that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Now I'm much better and I'm able to have conversations with people about these things. I'm active on boards. Mm. So Logan's organs either saved or enhanced six lives. Have you guys met any of the recipients of his organs? Because transplantation is health, it's provincially controlled. So because Logan's transplantation organ recovery took place in Saskatchewan, that's what he's under, is under Saskatchewan. Okay. Even though in Saskatchewan, the only transplantation that they actually do is kidney. We do know that one of his kidneys was transplanted in Saskatoon, but the rest of his organs went elsewhere in Canada. So some went to Edmonton and some went east. We think they've gone to like Toronto area because mm. that's about the length of time that organs can be maintained at their correct temperature because it happened in Saskatchewan. They're the most restrictive and it's kind of like, you know, you, the movies where you see that people are getting mm-hmm. special documents and they're blocked out, like things are blocked out. We haven't actually got anything like that, but everything gets vetted. So mm-hmm. if we write and we haven't yet, and I keep saying that I really want to, if we write a letter to the organ recipients, we can talk about our son, but we can't say who he is or how he passed away or the tragedy that happened. It has to be very kind of generic. We can talk about what kind of a person he was, Mm. but we can't name anything. And it's the same thing as things that have come back to us. They have to be vetted by Mm. the Saskatchewan Transplant Associations. We were originally told the reason that they do that is because going both ways, we don't want to have someone arrive on our doorstep saying, it's Logan's birthday, and so I'm celebrating it with you, And I, but we don't know who they are. And our reaction might be like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Or us arriving on the recipient's doorstep and saying, well, it's Logan's birthday, or this is your transplant birthday, so we want to celebrate it with you. And that's kind of their perspective stuff. on it. Yeah, I would love to meet the people. Mm. I'd love to find out who has his heart. Mm. And to listen to his heartbeat again. Oh, I can't even imagine. I just want to cry thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this idea that his heart is still yeah. beating right now. Yeah. We do have a letter from the heart recipient. Oh. And one of the kidneys. And one of the kidney recipients. Yeah. So, so is it kind of like a child who's been adopted trying to connect with their biological parents? Like you just kind of need to check all those boxes for confidentiality and permission. And then you eventually will be able to meet if you're both consenting? Well, yes. There's 39 heart transplants in Canada in 2018. There's 39 and there's 365 days. So if you had a heart transplant on April 8th, guess whose heart you got? Right. It's again, it's the national scope, the international scope of the tragedy. It, it adds layers of difficulty for us. Yeah. yeah and I, put it bluntly. And mm-hmm. so we have two letters and I've told Bernie, whenever you want to write a letter, We'll write a letter. I think it's also hard because as a recipient, you probably may have more of an idea of where your organ may have come from on that time. We don't know where they have necessarily gone. Mm. And not that we would put that recipient into the limelight and say, well, you know, here we are, we're going to tell your story. And that might be something that worries some of the recipients too. Mm -hmm. I can see that side of that. But we kind of had two choices with what happened is that we could have closed our blinds, closed our doors, and just been part of the tragedy that happened, or we could make a difference and carry on Logan's legacy and try to help other people to be able to have that opportunity to have their 
lives improved. There's so many people waiting for organ transplants mm -hmm. and every time that someone registers, it just gives a little bit more hope to anybody who's waiting for mm. a transplant of whatever type it is that they might be able to get that transplant and have a better life. If one of you guys could speak to Logan's foresight and that he had a birthday not long before the accident and his actual desire and he expressed that he wanted to be an organ donor and who inspired him. I know about it now, but I wasn't a part of the story when it happened. Logan's training coach, Rick Suggett, he was a really good friend of my dad's. He was the women's pronghorns rugby coach. And he also used to coach the women's U.S. national sevens team as well. So he has a big background just to back it up a little bit. I remember when Rick got selected to be the coach of the pronghorns team and Logan and I were Googling him and we're like, dad, he has a Wikipedia page. Yeah. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> we're like, it's a big deal. So like just from the very beginning, we had this awesome thought about Rick and he lived up to that hype. He was wonderful, amazing. So Logan trained with him, with his buddies. Um, There's four of them and they did really unconventional things. They trained at the U of L gym and I worked at customer service at the gym for my last three years of my undergrad. And I'd often see Logan and them trudge down and Rick being like, Rico, you're never going to guess what I'm going to do to these boys today. And he's just <laughs> laughing. And I think it's hilarious because <laughs> you don't have to never, do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the sister. I'm like, ha, that's funny. Logan loved Rick. Rick loved Logan. Rick passed away from a cerebral hemorrhage June 27th of 2017. He was an organ donor and that hit Logan. He was one of those people that, as my dad described, one of those many people that become donors in a tragedy, bring a little bit of light to the family. But like so many people, their name just kind of goes unmentioned. Mm. The family has their medal of honor. The family gets to hold that in their hearts, whatever that means to them. But it's just not many people know about it. And then that helped create a ripple effect. So Rick was kind of the story of Logan and Rick. And then Rick's passing, the impact it had on Logan. Logan and his buddies kept training that summer. All went off for their final season of junior hockey into their respective SJHL teams. And that prompted Logan around his 21st birthday. He had a conversation from what I've heard with his little billet brother, McLaren, just saying that for my 21st birthday, I'm going to sign my donor card. And McLaren's like, that's weird. Why would, what's so special about that? And Logan's like, well... It's what I want to do. It's what I want to do. And so just by having that conversation and sharing that with McLaren helped the whole premises behind our story is that you have to share it just because you signed the card, just because you registered. It only means so much till you actually let people know what your wishes are. And I think at the hospital, McLaren did let my parents know because the Paulsons, Logan's billet family were at the hospital with us after we found out Logan's prognosis. And McLaren did share with us that you know, Logan actually did tell me that's what he wanted to do. So Logan did have that kitchen table, even though it was in his car and his Jetta, I think in their driveway or in a parking lot, he did have that kitchen table talk with someone he cared deeply about and someone who was able just by chance in that moment with us to let us know. And for a young boy to have that Logan, to have that thought about it and McLaren to remember that and have that such an important moment in his life too, and didn't take it as like, oh, that's creepy and weird, like you're weird, Logan, but took it as something to carry on with him. That summer after Rick passed, Logan and I would have hot tubs. We'd hang out on our back deck. And so in August, before we went back to Humboldt, and he just literally were talking about whatever. And he just turned to me and said, I'm going to be an organ donor like Rick mm. if I pass. And I looked at him like, and I said, nobody's going to, that's fine. No one's going to want your organs when you're 85. <laughs> I tried to laugh and he kind of said, no, I'm serious. I'm yeah. basically telling you, I'm going to be an organ donor. So, you know, mm. and I wasn't a very good dad. And I just deflected the conversation and I didn't tell Bernie. And so the night of the crash, when we were in that little room, 
So we're in that little room and we hadn't got to see Logan yet. When we got to Royal University Hospital in Saskatoon, they put us in the cafeteria. They closed the cafeteria and it was all just Bronco families that were in there. And then we got told that we could go see Logan and they wouldn't let us into ICU first. They took us into a room to tell us the prognosis and what was happening. When we first found out Logan was at RUH, we had in our head, okay, we heard paralysis. We can, mm. we can deal with that. We can survive. Logan's strong. He's athletic. He will be able to get past this. There's all kinds of things that we can still do. And then we got in that room. There was the paralysis, but there was a brainstem injury that he was not going to recover from. Mm. And that was the big one. And I remember asking, can we get another opinion? And they just kind of looked at each other. And these are the top neurosurgeons in Saskatchewan. Mm. This is what's happening. And I didn't know the story of McLaren. I didn't know the story of Toby on the deck actually at that time. And I said, well, would it be possible to donate Logan's organs? Oh. I mean, he's healthy. He's strong. Mm -hmm. Um, he's fit. Yeah. People will be able to use these organs and they will have better lives. And they just like all stopped. Mm. Like everybody in that room. So there was his nurse, the head trauma doctor, a resident, and another neurosurgeon, and the social worker that were all in with us. And they just all went and just froze and like, mm. are you sure you want to do that? And our case is a little bit different because we, most people don't offer. Right. Um, it tends to be something that they gets discussed. And so that was kind of our story. And then it, mm. and then it got backed up with yeah. Toby saying, yes, Logan had said that. And then McLaren saying that mm. as we sat by Logan's bedside at that time, McLaren was a 13 year old boy oh. being hugely impacted by yeah. everything that's happening. Mm. And he said that, and it was like, I have something to offer here. Yeah. I have like, I had that conversation with Logan. And so as Mariko said, that conversation is so important because yeah. it also backed up us offering Logan's organs. It's like, yes, Toby had the conversation. Yes, McLaren had a conversation and how important that was. Yeah. And so that's why we advocate so much, like have that conversation. Yeah. And even if you don't register, that conversation with your family is so important mm -hmm. because in a time of tragedy, they already know what your wishes are and it mm -hmm. makes them not have to make that one more decision because mm -hmm. they can just say, yes, that person wanted to be a donor. There is a deep connection to a deeper it meaning, is. a deeper purpose, a deeper truth that has solidified and it didn't just help you as a family anchor, that helped a community, that helped Canada anchor mm -hmm. in a really tumultuous storm in that time and the power of conversation and love and listening to your heart through that process. Just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. For people that want to donate their organs, what is the practical process there? Like it's online registrations. And so you just do it online or do it when you get your driver's license. You can do it either way in Alberta. And, and if you go to the Green Shirt Day website, they have a section there right in the front that says register and it goes to every province. Okay. Plus you can buy a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't really care if you buy a shirt, but you can. Oh, awareness. I love that. And that's the big thing is just that awareness and, and having a conversation. So you go out and you talk to somebody and, and they may have never thought of that. There is organ transplants like liver and kidney that you can do as live donors. I just read the news story about the man in Ontario who was inspired by Logan and yeah. he just recently donated one of his 
kidneys. So that's awesome. His story lives on. Mm -hmm. I think people, another thing that scares them for signing up to be a donor is they think the doctors, because it's, you know, that problem, if you watch The Good Place, the trolley problem, Mm -hmm. right? That it's like, do I save one person or six people, right? But the doctors, it's in their medical license and it's in their profession that they have to do the best that they can to save you. So they're not going to say, oh, like this person's organs could save five, six people, enhance their lives. So we're going to do that instead. Like they're going to do everything they can. Being in that firsthand experience, we saw how many tests they ran, how many things they did, how long, like we were there when we watched them do the final test to make that declaration that we know, and Mm. we were there and we know they did everything they could to help save Logan. Everyone has their own values and beliefs, but that's not something to be concerned of. Yeah. As well as the way you pass away also needs to, is very, very specific too, that I don't think people realize as well. Like Logan, fortunate. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but we were very fortunate in the way that Logan, if you look at the span of injuries that occurred in the humble Broncos crash, that Logan was able to be a donor and only have as minimal injury. Yes. His injury was fatal, but the injury that he had still allowed for all his organs to be in Mm -hmm amazing condition to be able to be donated to. Yeah. And there's lots more to it. Just because you sign your card doesn't mean the doctor's going to be there ready to cut you open to mm-hmm. do the recovery surgery. There's lots more to it. And they're going to do everything they possibly can to make sure you can live your life too. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be good for some people to hear. Dana Braun's athletic therapist on the team. She survived five days. Logan survived one day. She survived five days post-crash and she was registered organ donor in Saskatchewan. And they did everything they could to keep Dana alive but they were preparing her for an organ donation, but then she passed incredibly quickly when it happened. They mm. never had time to get things lined up. Right. Aww. They do everything they can yeah. to keep you there. And they did everything to keep Dana alive. Yeah. And they kept her alive for five days trying to get Dana to stay with us. Yeah. Mm. So that's a great message to share that when we sign up, when we register for this, it doesn't mean that will happen. It's it's conversation. It's a conversation with the family. It's a conversation with the doctors. There's this bigger process that happens, but it's that conversation to show your willingness to register, to sign up, that that needs to happen in order for this to be a process that could save somebody's life. And Logan passed away on April 7th, right? I just saw that the city of Lethbridge voted unanimously to proclaim April 7th, Green Shirt Day in Lethbridge. That's awesome. Meaning and purpose that comes out of tragedy, right? The rising phoenix, the the power. Yeah, and everyone in my family, we live kind of cross country. My brother and his family are in BC and my twin and her family are in Ottawa. And they all recognize Green Shirt Day. And when we said we were going to be chatting with you guys, everyone knows who we're talking about. They know the legacy. So the word has been spread. We'd all put our sticks out, humbled strong, and we were all part of that. That interesting moment you said earlier that he was the glue, but it's interesting, the glue in your family, the glue in his friend group, glue in the team. But there's also this stickiness, this cohesiveness that he has that's actually bonding people across Canada, which is beautiful. Pretty incredible. There was a neat connection with the number. Who wants to speak to this? What does the number 27 mean and how is it connected to this? Bernie. (laughs) Okay, so I have my jersey on. It says 27. Oh, there you go. That's Logan's number that he had in Humboldt. He was never one of those kids that was tied to a number. Like, I I have to have this number. And if I don't get that number, it's just not going to work. So when he went to Kindersley, he had number five. And then, but when he went to Humboldt, someone already had that number. So they said, well, you could have that number after if that person leaves and number 27 was open. And so he took 27 and that was his number the whole entire time he was in Humboldt. 
LB27 is what we wear. And for us, it's Logan's number that we have, but the number has inspired other people like Logan's billet brother, McLaren. When he went to go play hockey at the place he went to last year, that was what he wanted. He wanted 27. He needed 27 and they were able to make that happen because mm-hmm. that was important for him to have that number and to have Logan mm-hmm. supporting him as his angel as yeah. having 27. And there's other people we've known that like they go to their team and they want number 27 because for them it's honoring Logan, but also having Logan on their back and helping them out. Michael Grant, who's one of Logan's ball bearers, he wears number 27 for the pronghorns. Because when he made the pronghorns, he asked for that number. Right. There's mm-hmm. another young man from Whitehorse that played for uh, Prince George AAA Midget team. He wears number 27, mm-hmm. has it embroidered in his gloves. So it's like fair and even like when he signed AAA Hawk in Saskatchewan, he would tell them, I need to be number 27. And did I read that Logan was on life support for 27 hours before he passed away? Yeah. From the time that we got to go to the hospital to be with him until he was taken to the operating room, it was about 27 hours that we got to spend with him. So that was, yeah. and we didn't kind of put that together till we were driving home from Saskatoon. My brother was driving and we're all on our phones texting people. Mm-hmm. Six hours worth of texting. (laughs) I was texting one of my friends and I just said, because I'm figuring out my mind, okay, it was like a whole day. So it was 24 hours and three more hours. Yeah, 27 hours. And I texted Mm. and she just texted back. She goes, that's amazing, that number. And I hadn't even seen the number when I texted it in. And it was like, yeah. Wow. My mom is really big into 27 because it's such a random, weird number that no one thinks about that when we see the 27 something or like 27 this or it's, I looked at the temperature and it was 27 degrees or yeah. something. It just means a little bit extra. We did a lot of flying, the three of us, and random events and stuff at the very beginning, especially in 2018, just different Humboldt events or speaking events and stuff. And I remember one airport we were sitting in, it was Calgary, waiting and the waitress changed the channel randomly and changed it to channel 27. And my mom just pointed it out and started crying. Mm. And all three of us were just like, wow, like what are the chances? Here we are so deep in our grief sitting in this airport restaurant Mm. and it happened to change to that channel. Yeah. The one thing that sticks to me is Rick Suggett passed away on June 27th, which was before Logan, but the chances of that, like just that number is weird. It keeps coming back. Yeah. Yeah. And like my partner, Cam, his email, the first time we saw it when I first started dating him is camcature27 at gmail.com. My mom's like, what the heck? Why is it 27? And Uh, Logan approves. Yeah. Right. (laughs) They've never met or anything. Uh, Cam's birthday is the 27th, but the randomness of that and the fact that it's in his email, it's just like, wow. Yeah a special number that sticks out to you in a way that some random number shouldn't. That's a special gift that you carry, a special moment that you share as a family and the 27. And now many of us will remember that. He lives in our hearts. He lives in Green Shirt Day. Carry his legacy for the rest of your lives. Thank you so much for sharing him with us today. And our hearts are with you all. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting us. We're just honored to be invited to your podcast. I just find it exciting. Oh, please. The honor is ours. Totally. I think the one thing that was really cool is my dad foaming. He's like, I think you're going to want to do this podcast. And I was like, okay, who is it? And he's like, it's Julian Lowell. I was like, oh my God. Cause we like, we watched your guys' journey. <laughs> we were huge fans of oh. you guys from when you guys were on an amazing race. And we watched you guys all the time oh, and you. cheered for you guys. Oh, and, thank you. <laughs> and tried to help. Oh, we tried you. to help from our house. Through yeah. your screens. I mean, it's, oh, yes. Come on guys. <laughs> I know. No, don't run into trees. Please don't do that. 
when you were to be sent home, all of us were crying with the little <laughs> montage and we were like so sad and just like, you're like, we love them so much. <laughs> Your family cried for us. We've cried for you guys. We've bonded through our tears. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're welcome. We'll do our best to share this all the way through. This is coming out on Green Shirt Day. So for everybody listening, go sign up. Let's yeah. keep this legacy alive and let's continue to keep Logan's memory and all of those lost in our hearts and our minds. Yes. Thank you so much. Well, thank you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Oh, the Boulay family. We are so honored to speak with such amazing people who are sharing their story with us, sharing the story of Logan's passing. They were so vulnerable in sharing of their story. Their so heart. real. Yeah. It's very real. You may have heard all of us crying at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have the video to see the tears coming out of our eyes, but the power of connecting over a life lost and, and that task of grief to honor them and bring them into our daily lives and to the way we speak. It's really powerful. The Boulets have done an amazing job of finding meaning out of tragedy. Yeah, what an amazing family. So everyone should probably head right on over, hey, to greenshirtday.ca. And that's where you can order your green shirts and also follow the links to register to be an organ donor. And don't forget to talk to your loved ones about that too. Hey, lol, you know that. I want to donate everything. Absolutely. If our bodies are healthy, we want to have other people take that health and live their lives. So... Please talk to your family and friends, register to donate, and we'll see if we can create some more meaning out of tragedy. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, one of the great writers and researchers and caregivers through people who have gone through grief and mourning, she's written many books, and one of her quotes is this. She says, the reality is that you will grieve forever. You will not get over the loss of a loved one. You will learn to live with it. You will heal and you will rebuild yourself around the loss you have suffered. You will be whole again, but you will never be the same, nor should you be the same, nor would you want to. Thank you to the Boulay family for speaking with us today. And thank you, Logan, for your legacy.